Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. We're in our second week of Advent. So Advent, as you know, is a time of waiting, anticipation, preparation, much like uh, around Easter, we go through the Lenten season where people decide to forego a few things, to take time to reflect, to repent, to prepare ourselves for Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. Advent is much like that. It's a time of preparation as we prepare ourselves for Christmas Day when the capital J joy of the world, that's who we celebrate, is the birth of Jesus. And so Advent means the coming or the arrival of Jesus. And there's three of those mentioned in the Bible. The first is where he shows up and he's born in the manger. The second is how he communicates and comes to his people every day through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's who we're going to talk about today, Jesus coming to us in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The third advent we'll talk about next week is the final when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Okay, so last week we walked through the seven promises of God in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. We walked through the O antiphons. And so today we're talking about Christ coming to us through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, his name is uh, Kostenberger, Andreas Kostenberger, and his comments on John's gospel are really helpful when he describes when Jesus in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, there at the Last Supper, Jesus begins to say things like, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to return and take you to be with me. But don't worry, I'm sending another. And he begins to describe the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He says this, he says, um, the Holy Spirit does not come to replace Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into the church to reveal Jesus. And I found that to be really, really helpful. The Holy Spirit is not less than God. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay, so the Holy Spirit has come to reveal Jesus. And he comes to us now. And for some of us that instantly fills us with joy and like, all right, I'd love to see him. I'd love for him to come by today. I'd love for him to visit my life today. And yet for many, uh, that's not actually a really exciting idea. But there's several encounters that we see in the scripture where God comes near and the response is not, oh, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. It's more, go away from me. I'm an unclean man, like what Peter says. Isaiah says the same thing in Isaiah chapter 6. It's these experiences where God draws near and suddenly we don't feel good about that because God is holy and we are not. And so the idea of Jesus coming near at Advent can make us a bit uncomfortable. And so the thought of his nearness making us uncomfortable is, honestly, it's why so many of us live our Christian lives the way we do. Like most of us are 
if we get honest, we are content to hover kind of around the edges and the periphery of Jesus and the faith. And so, like, we flirt with the idea of discipleship and, like, we date the church, but we don't actually want to, like, get, like, actually too serious about this. And you go, well, why? I think, honestly, because deep down, most of us think that our lives are just a grave disappointment to God. If he were real, then he must be unbelievably disappointed in me. And so we avoid him. And so we avoid spending time in prayer. We don't bother confessing our sins because we don't think that'll actually ever come to an end. <laughs> like if I start confessing, this is going to go on forever, I think. We don't fast because what's the point? We don't read because we think that the words will just kind of pass right through us and not find anywhere to stick. We don't meditate because we're absolutely terrified of being still. And so when the idea of Jesus coming near comes to mind, we busy ourselves with other things. It's anything other than him. And so we keep our distance because we think he's come to bring shame down on our heads and fill our stockings with coal. <laughs> or we think he's, he's angry. And so as long as he's angry with us, we just think one more laugh, kind of like take a long walk around the lake. And by the time I get back around, he will have cooled off and forgotten all about it. And maybe, well, so I'll just kind of keep my distance, you know, he'll cool down. Or we avoid him because of the guilt that we carry. And it's just too much to bear. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why we avoid taking him seriously. So brothers and sisters, here's what I'd submit. Until we stop projecting our preconceived ideas and images onto God and simply allow him to speak for himself, nothing's going to change. You know, one of the sins that God despises most, maybe the most, is idolatry. And one of the greatest idols that we make in and from our own selves is we project onto God an image rather than receiving the fact that we are made in his. That is, we project onto him images that match far more like the Roman pantheon rather than the God of the Bible. And so we project images onto him, and so he's just as cranky, grumpy, disappointed, moody, impatient, unkind, and as violent as the rest of us. And so we project those images onto him, and once we've projected that image onto him long enough, of course we keep our distance. He's just like us. What's the point? But things begin to change, and I'm very serious, because this is, I'm telling you as somebody who was guilty of the same stuff, things begin to change when we start taking God actually at his word and allowing him to speak for himself. And only then do we find that the Abba of Jesus, the maker of our souls, 
to be so perfectly loving that we find him irresistible, even as he confronts us in our sin. So today, I just want to hone in on one case study. There's plenty of how Jesus acted when he drew near to someone who clearly knew that they were out and did not belong and were nowhere near a candidate for the grace of God. So we're going to hone in on Zacchaeus, the wee little man, if you grew up in Sunday school hearing about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. So here we go. Luke 19. We read that Jesus, it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay. So the city of Jericho, it's the same famous city in the, in the Old Testament. Jericho was about 20 miles away from Jerusalem, and it was known as the city of priests. Loads of priests lived in Jericho, and it was a wealthy city. It was a trade city, so people were coming and going all the time, and one particular person lived there by the name of Zacchaeus. And as Luke introduces us to Zacchaeus, he tells us he's a tax collector and that he was rich. He was, in fact, a chief tax collector. And so, for those of you that don't know much about tax collectors in the first century, they were hated. It's not hard to imagine hating someone that takes your taxes. Um, These were kind of way up, way beyond what we think of when we think of paying taxes. A tax collector, for a man like Zacchaeus, he was a Jewish man, he worked for Rome. So in the first century, the Roman Empire expanded roughly from England all the way to India. Everything was occupied by Rome. And Rome ruled, as you know, with an iron fist. And one of the ways in which Rome kept the people of Israel under their thumb was through brutal taxation. Knowing that these people could could rise up at any moment, one of the ways to keep the people humble and dependent was to just keep taking from them, to make them live just hand to mouth, moment to moment to moment to moment to moment to moment. And the people hated living under Rome. It was awful. And Zacchaeus was a Jewish man who decided to go to work for Rome. So he betrayed God, he betrayed his own people, and he was compensated really, really well for it. Rome would say, take 10% off anybody coming through this toll today. But the chief tax collectors knew, I'm gonna charge this guy 20% and keep 10 for himself. And And Rome was totally cool with that. He was a very, very wealthy man, and he was extremely despised. So Zacchaeus would have been known as someone who is, you know, unclean. He had chosen profit over people and therefore wound up very wealthy and very lonely, not unlike countless people in our city. And so he was unclean. And when I say the word unclean, that doesn't really rattle any of us because we clean stuff up all the time. You go to the gym and you work out and you get a shower. Now you're clean. The dishes are dirty. Now you wash them. Now they're clean. It's not like a big offensive thing to be unclean. You know, you, 
your room is messy and you clean it, right, dude? Like you just, it's not a moral thing really. But in their world, to be unclean means you're out. There are the sinners and there are the righteous. There are the holy, there are the profane. There are the clean, there are the unclean. There are the children of Israel, Father Abraham's children, and then there are the Gentiles. He was unclean. And so he wouldn't have been allowed in synagogue worship. He wouldn't have been allowed in the city of Jerusalem. He certainly wasn't allowed around the temple on a day like Yom Kippur when the high priest would say, your sins are forgiven. He was out. The line had been drawn completely. It was crystal clear. You're damned, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that is a very, very lonely place. Yes, he's got all the money in the world, um, but he knows deep down in his bones he's bankrupt. It's a sad and it's a scary place. It's a purposeless place. Yeah. It's the place, like, as a pastor, it's the place where people say things like, um, Pastor, do other people mess up like I do? Maybe you feel like Zacchaeus today. Unclean. Maybe you know somebody that can relate to a Zacchaeus right now. I'm thinking of so many of my friends that carry this kind of I'm out in their gut. And so I'm talking to my friends today. I'm talking to myself, honestly. Verse 3 says, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Um, and the Greek is really important right here. The word's not actually was. The word's actually a present tense, is. He was seeking to see who Jesus is. Which is way more than wanting to see like a famous rabbi pass by or maybe see a miracle or something happen. This was kind of a question of his own heart. I want to see who Jesus is. Do you want to see who Jesus is? Not what does every pastor in the world or some blogger out there or some author have to say about, do you want to see who Jesus is for yourself? Push all the stuff and all the noise around him aside and go, yeah, I'd love to see him for who he is. My friend, if that's you, if that's you and you are on the outside and you want to see who Jesus is, if you will simply ask him, Jesus, I don't have my act together, not even close. 
Will you reveal yourself to me? Will you please reveal yourself to me? Let me see you. He will do it. He will do it. So Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus is. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Okay, so now we find out he's small. I don't know how short this guy is, but I did some digging (laughs) just to see. And based on how tall most Jewish men were, in the first century, this guy is coming in just under five feet tall, is what most people are guessing. Like, not a very big guy. And he can't see Jesus. One, because he's short, but the, the, the Greek here is actually really important. It, it says it's on account of the crowd. And some of the, the language there literally means that they're, they're keeping him out. Like, they're pushing him out. The crowd is just like, whatever, man. You keep people under your thumb all the time, and now you want to you get a front row seat to the rabbi coming through in the city of priests? Yeah, right. And they're just pushing this guy to the side. They're not about to help him out any more than he was about to help them out. So he ran. Jewish men don't tend to run in the first century. That's, that's Greek and Roman stuff. Jewish men are sophisticated men. They sit at the gates and they talk. But he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. The word sycamore uh, means silly. Sick meaning fig, more is the Greek word for moron or silliness. Climbs up into a sycamore tree, a silly tree, has big broad branches that would have made it easy to climb. And it would have been a kind of an embarrassing situation for a big wealthy guy, not big, big bank account, wealthy guy to be found climbing up into a tree Suddenly his money couldn't get him anywhere. So he climbs up into a tree because Jesus was about to pass that way. You got to read passages like this slowly, especially if you grew up in church and you know this story. He climbs up into the tree and he's waiting. Verse 5 says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. And don't you know time stood still? All the dust being kicked up by a crowd and the hustling and the bustling, like there are people everywhere. It's loud. Jesus comes right up to the tree and looks into his face. This loser, this outcast, this guy that's broken all the rules, this guy that does not belong to God, 
does not obey the commandments, is now locked eyes with Jesus. And here's Advent. Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. This is the best news in the whole world. Zacchaeus, the first thing Jesus says is his name. He doesn't call him a number. You're not in line at Dick's. Number 65. Come on. Calls you by name. Has he ever called your name? Like the real you? Zacchaeus? This is the only time Jesus says, hurry. Hurry up. Jesus is never in a rush to get anywhere. You ever notice that? He's never hurrying anywhere. And he never tells anybody to hurry, ever, in the Bible. Oh. So that made me sit up straight in my study this week as a busy pastor, hurrying from place to place. Jesus never tells a single one of us to hurry. Except this one time. Hurry up and get down here. Don't delay hanging around in a tree. Zacchaeus, hurry up. Come down here to me. I must stay at your house today. Like, in the city of priests, the city of clean people who have their act together, Jesus shows up and says, I want to dine with the outcasts, the losers, the throwaways, the one who don't fit in. That's where I want to be. I want to be with the people who know they don't belong because every single person told them they don't belong and they especially did it in God's name. I'd like to be eating dinner at your house tonight, which in the first century Jewish context is the way of saying table fellowship is saying, I'm here to enter into friendship with you. Zacchaeus, I'd love to be your friend. I'd love to come by your house today, the place that's unclean and the people that throw eggs at it and the people that like flip it off when they ride by on their donkey or whatever. I want to be seen with you. Does anybody hear me? Like this of all the places for the Son of God to want to go, he wants to be with the unclean. This is one of those things where it's like, as a pastor, I just play all these tapes in my head and it's just like, yes, dude. 
preach the gospel. All right, yes, that's the king you're talking about. You know, like of all the places for Jesus to want to be, he wants to be with the unclean people of our church and our city and in our workplaces and our schools. He wants to be with the unclean. In a city of priests, Jesus found the unclean place and wanted to be there. I'm, and the Greek there is so important. Day, must. It's imperative. I don't have an option here. I have to do this. In the same way where Jesus says, the Son of Man must be handed over. The Son of Man must die. The Son of Man must. There's no other plan. That's what he's saying right here. I must eat at your house today. There's nowhere else in the city I want to be. I must. This is the only place I want to be is with you. I'm so glad you don't have to eat alone tonight. So yeah, he invites himself over. I love that about Jesus. He just shows up. He invites himself over. I'm coming to your house. I want to be your friend. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. The greatest metal band in the world is a band called Holy Name. They released their first record this year and it's perfect. And it sums up Zacchaeus perfectly in the song, My Way. Here are the lyrics to the second verse. I heard the whisper of hope through the tears and the rage, and I found my way. I gave the anguish of life and all the dirt on my name. I swore I'd wait forever, but I won't wait in vain, because when I listen to your voice, you were singing to the throwaways. So he received Jesus joyfully. And beloved, until we see Jesus as the God of joy, we'll avoid him the way we avoid knuckle-cracking Catholic school teachers. And until we see Jesus as the one who loves to save, we'll avoid him like a traffic cop that wants to bust you for going 26 and a 25. Until we see Jesus for who he is, our discipleship will wax and wane. And we'll just be bored as ever. Zacchaeus knew what Jesus was saying when he said, I'm coming over. He knew what Jesus meant. He knew that Jesus was saying, I've come to fill your heart in a way that all that money is not. And in fact, your heart is not shaped like a bank. It's a throne. And I'll be the king. And I'll live there. And when they saw it, verse 7, almost done. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. They always grumble. Like if you read Luke's gospel, Jesus is always hanging out with the, the Zacchaeuses. And the religious crowd is always grumbling about Jesus and his friends. And they say, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And you know Zacchaeus heard that. 
And Jesus heard it too. They're always grumbling. But let them complain, fellow ragamuffins. Because those of us who were far off, all their complaints do is fuel our fire for our king. And we'll just sing all the louder because Jesus is not ashamed to be associated with us. So complain all you want. My king's not embarrassed by me. What a savior. And Zacchaeus, so now that scholars point out, this is, they're now, they're now at uh, Zacchaeus' house. And so Zacchaeus is having a, a dinner party, much like Matthew does, another tax collector that wrote one of the gospels. There was a dinner party. It says Zacchaeus stood. So he's seated at the table. They're dining. He's got his friends there. And he does one of these. And said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. What's he saying? I repent. You can have it all, Jesus. Lord, all the stuff I've stolen off people's backs, I'm paying it back. I'm changing. I'm starting right here, right now. And all of his friends are sitting there. And Zacchaeus is just filled with joy because Jesus has come near. If I've defrauded anyone, I restore it fourfold. And so he's holding his glass up, standing there at his dining table going, To the king, to the king who would come down and dine in my house, to the king, Jesus, you've changed my life. I repent. I repent. I've lived this way, and now I want to live your way. That's what he's doing. Because Jesus came near. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Remember who Abraham was, he was the friend of God. friend. Jesus is announcing because I have entered into friendship with you, Zacchaeus, you're friends now with the creator of the universe. Truly, salvation came to your house today, Zacchaeus. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Old Testament prophets throughout the whole, especially Hosea and Habakkuk, hone in on, seek the Lord while he may be found. But nobody did. Seek the Lord. And now we have the Lord come down and saying, I'll do all the seeking since you're doing all the hiding. I've come to seek and to save the lost. This is what Jesus says. This is the point of his advent. I've come down to draw near to the unclean, to the broken, to the outsiders, to the people who will just simply admit, Lord, I don't have my act together. I don't know my right hand from my left most of the time. I am disoriented, brokenhearted, confused, proud, self-righteous. I'm a mess. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, so hurry up and get out of that tree, will you? We've got some changing to do. Now, would you like to hear the gospel? The good news of the gospel is not Jesus looking up into a tree and beholding Zacchaeus. The good news of the gospel are all the Zacchaeuses all around the world looking up at Jesus on his foolish tree where Jesus dies to take away the sins of people like Zacchaeus and like you and like me so that we might belong in the kingdom of God. And once he captures your heart, things like, Lord, I'm giving up half my stuff. I'll do what you ask, whatever you want. All of a sudden, that doesn't sound crazy. It just sounds like a heart that's been captured by the king. Christians in Louisiana, down, way down in the bayou, around the turn of the century, used to talk about conversion. They didn't even use words like born again, which is a very, you know, saying. They would say things like this. I've been seized by the power of a great affection. <laughs> you can't say it any better than that. Like, that's it. Seized by the power of a great Affection. The king came to my house and now everything's different. And that's how Jesus comes to us in Advent. If you've been away from him, if you're standing on the periphery of the fringes, I need you to know that Jesus loves you. Not what you can do for him. He loves you and he has come to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, namely bring down God's salvation from heaven and put it into your heart. And that's Advent, a non-threatening, loving, self-inviting king coming to your house. That's Advent. Okay. That's all I got. <sighs> all right. Let's pray. And then... Um, We'll continue in worship and receive communion together. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for coming to seek and save the lost. For my friends here today that don't know you, Jesus, I ask that you would come into their lives and bring salvation to their house. 
for my friends that are feeling as though they don't belong, Holy Spirit, bring your comfort and remind them that they do belong because of all that you have done. Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for this season of waiting and anticipation. Work in us, we pray. We pray these things all in the Son of Man's name who came to seek and save the lost, Jesus our Lord. Amen.